Thank you so much. Uh, it, is an, uh, it is such a privilege to be here again and to be able to worship with you. Uh, it's great to hear the singing of the saints. Um, this is actually my third service um, today. Um, I, I'm actually still part of a, another church, so I preached there in the morning, and then I went to Sink, uh, Yongnak, and um, preached there, and yeah, I'm, I'm here now, and it is, once again, it's, it's a great privilege. Um, how, how much time do I have to preach? Um, just, uh, yeah, don't do that, because the thing is, like, I, I calculated how many sermons I would normally preach from these chapters. Um, I have about seven sermons I could preach from this. And so um, that's, I think, that's 20 minutes each. That's like um, 140 minutes. So I'm not going to do that. Don't worry. But to, how long does Pastor Steve usually preach? 20 minutes? <laughs> I could. I could. It feels like 20. Okay. Um, mine, mine will go 20. It'll feel like 40. Okay. But um, let's, you know, in saying that, um, I want to I wanna just say there's a lot here. There's a lot here. And sadly, I won't be able to touch everything. I won't be able to touch everything. But I encourage you, I encourage you to look at these passages. Uh, you know, when you go leave here today, um, throughout the, the next coming week, um, just to look at these passages and see what God is saying through his word. Um, and then you can say, oh, he missed this, he missed that, he missed this, okay, and that's okay. Um, uh, and also, uh, with the baptism, um, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a, a reason to celebrate. That's uh, such great news. And so I, I, I want to just congratulate the church on that. So let's uh, go into the passage. I'll start with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for blessing us with your word. I pray that as we, as we hear your word today, that you would speak. Um, Lord, I pray for this church. I pray that uh, your spirit would move in our hearts so that we can hear what you have to say to us. May we not leave here uh, unchanged, but Lord, I pray that you would move each of our hearts, transform us. May we desire more of you, more of your word, more of your spirit, more of your presence in our lives. May I become less, may you become more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, let's, let's, I want you guys to picture, I want you guys to picture, um, you guys are part of a church. You guys are part of a church, yeah, you, you know, it's easy to picture that, but you're in Rome. You're in Rome, the church is actually quite small, uh, and it's being persecuted, and it's in the early church, people are, you can tell, people hate you. People hate the church being there, and there's all this persecution against you. And imagine this. Imagine in the midst of this persecution, you have to make a choice. You have to make a choice. Will I continue in the faith? Because more and more, it's becoming easier. All you have to do is say, Jesus is not Lord. If you just say those words, then persecution will stop. Your life will be much easier. 
Your business will run fine. Your children will be safe. Your house will be safe. Every, all the securities of this world you can continue to pursue. But if you continue to chase after Jesus, if you continue in the faith, then you will be persecuted. Imagine this world. Imagine this church. Imagine this is what you are doing, right? Now, this is the context of when Revelation is written. This is the context in which Revelation is written. And so we can see the author's purpose in this. The author knows, uh, John, who wrote this book, he knows what the church is going through. He knows how difficult it can be to continue in the faith. And in the midst of that, he comes and he writes this book and he, uh, you know, God speaks through him and hopefully he will speak to us because we're kind of in the same situation. We as a church are in a place where the world is against us. And you might say, oh, it's not that against us. Oh. If you truly follow Christ, if you are truly passionate for his name, eventually, eventually, you will be persecuted. In the Beatitudes, it actually says, blessed are you when, when you are persecuted in my name. Persecution will come if you are a follower of Christ. And when it does, this is the book you want to go to. This is where you will find hope. Why? Well, let's look through it, okay? Um, Revelation chapter 6, chapter 6. Um, I'm just going to really quickly uh, talk about the, the first four seals. Okay, let me, exp- um, when I was growing up, when I was growing up, I, um, I used to go to this thing called VBS, Vacation Bible School in the States. And part of that was, you know, you, we, it was a children's program, and we would sleep over Friday night to Saturday morning. And while we were there, uh, the teachers, for some of the older kids, they would take them aside and they would tell us ghost stories. And we would stay up and we'd be all scared. They were ridiculous ghost stories, right? But every now and then, one of the teachers would be like, hey, let's read from Revelation. And they would read, go to chapter 6. And we would just read it. And all the kids, I remember, like, cuddling together with the other year five kids and going, this is scary. One of the things that was really scary about it was if you look at it, it says, now I watched when the lamb opened one of the seven seals. Okay, now you have to realize I was in year five. Nobody explained to me what a seal was. And so I was imagining these stone ar, ar, ar seals and this, this giant lamb like crushing it, right? Destroying it and going, whoa. This is a scary image, right? And then these, the four horsemen of the apocalypse come out. This is the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So the first seal opens the first horseman. Second seal opens the second horseman. Third seal opens the third horseman. Fourth seal opens the fourth horseman. And here's what you can see from this. I'm, I don't want, I'm sorry, I'm not going to go into uh, each passage um, too much. But I want you to notice a few things about this. Every time a seal is broken, there is a call. A call is made. A call is made. And who makes this call? It says, come. Come. And what happens when it says come? 
a horseman comes out, and the horse is a certain color, and certain events happen. And I'll tell you, each of these events, each of these horsemen represent something of persecution. The first horseman is uh, being conquered. Some people will say, oh, it's, it's about war. But no, it's not about war. It's actually about being conquered. It's, war is great if you're on the winning side. War is horrible if you're on the losing side. And it's talking, when it talks about this horseman, the first horseman, it's about being conquered. The second horseman is about civil unrest, about um, not having peace in your home. And the third horseman is about famine, like the cost of living going way higher than you could afford. And the uh, four, that was the third horseman. The fourth horseman is death. Death. And it's a progression. It's a progression of things that will happen of the people in this world experiencing these hardships, experiencing these things that are difficult. And you might say, oh, that's so far removed and that's in the future. But no, these things have happened. These are events that have happened. As I go through these passages, know this, I, I, I'm looking at it through a certain theological lens. Okay? And you can look at it from different theological lens, this book especially. But in this particular lens, this applies to us now because it, you can see the effects of it in the past. You can see the effects of it in the present. And we know that these are things that we can look forward to as well. Because when you look at this, you see what does it mean that you're being conquered? And you, can, you can't imagine Australia ever being conquered. Like, I can't imagine Indonesia going, you know what? I want Australia. I don't know why, but I want it. Oh, Vegemite. You know, I want to conquer Australia for Vegemite. It's not, it's, you know, oh, it's not going to happen, right? And yet, it has happened in the church. It has happened, if you think of the church globally, you're not talking about just the church in Australia. You're not talking about just the church in America. But the church has been attacked. It has been conquered. It has experienced war and felt the effects of it. It has experienced famine. It has experienced civil unrest. And that is the history of the church as they experience it. How do they, how can you stand? When we talk about the, the horrors of Revelation, the, the reason it was scary to us kids, at the same time, we can see in these words the thing that's meant to strengthen us. Because Revelation is speaking to the persecuted church and is saying, God is in control. What is a seal? What is a seal? Uh, for, for those who don't know, it's not the, it's not the thing I imagined. Seal, you have to realize, it's, it's, he's holding a scroll. He's holding a scroll. And in this scroll, there's seven seals holding certain portions of the scroll. And when it's originally brought out, it's presented to everyone in heaven and says, who is worthy to break the seal? And no one's worthy. And John weeps because of it. Because he wants to know what's inside. And then the lamb comes. 
And I know you're imagining this giant lamb, but no, it's, it's, it's Jesus. It's the lamb of God. And we sing songs that say like the lamb is worthy as a lamb, right? Do we sing, do we sing, we sing that song here, right? Worthy is the lamb. And when we say worthy as a lamb, we're saying a few things. One, we're saying he is worthy of praise. Usually when we sing worthy as a lamb, we're saying worthy, he's worthy of praise. He's also a worthy sacrifice. His blood is a worthy sacrifice to take our sins away. But in this context, when, when it's said in the Bible, he's worthy to break these seals. And as he breaks the seals, the events are shown to happen. You know what's interesting? Is if something is sealed in a scroll, it means it's already written. If something's already written, somebody wrote it. If somebody wrote it, it means they know what's going to happen. God is the author of this scroll. God knows the contents because he already predestined it to pass. And so even when you look at the, 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 the persecution and the trials that are about to come, he is in control. He is in control of all these seals. And as he breaks the seals, he is just revealing, revealing his purposes, revealing his plan. When you are part of a persecuted church, what, how can you stand? How can you stand when everything is against you, when the whole world is against you? You can stand if you know that someone else is with you. Someone who truly matters. Someone who truly has power. The one who ordained the things to pass. He is in control. And so these things happen, and then we break the fifth seal. Now, all of these, those first four are the apocalypse. There's all these things that are, it's all scary and stuff. But then the fifth seal, we see the martyrs, the martyrs coming out. And the martyrs are people who have died for their faith. And they're dressed in white. And as they come, as they come, uh, you know, they, they say, Oh, sovereign Lord, verse 10, Oh, sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? How long will you allow our blood to be spilled and there not to be any justice? And he says, a little longer, rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete. Because there's a number that God has in mind, a number of people who will die for their faith. It's already sealed in this scroll of things to pass. He already knows that the number that will pass, that will die for their faith. What strengthens you in, when you are, are facing death? What strengthens you when someone has, has a weapon to your, your, your throat and says, deny Jesus or die? What strengthens you? Knowing that you will be part of that number. That God is still in control. That you, there is justice waiting. 
And then there's a sixth seal. And the sixth seal is kind of, it kind of says the end. It just basically, it's, if you look at the pattern of what happens in the sixth seal, verse 12, when you opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. You have to imagine, this is basically the end. It's an uncreation. It's creation being undone. It's the opposite of, of the six-day account of creation being formed. It's uncreation. And as creation is taken away, we basically have the end. But that's only six seals. There's seven. There's seven seals. What about the seventh seal? By taking, if number six is the end... What happens with the seventh seal? And the seventh seal is in two chapters. <laughs> and so it's, you're left to kind of wait. You're left to kind of wait. Now, in um, chapter seven, we see these numbers, like number of people that are meant to be saved. And with all of this, you see this great multitude of Christians, this great multitude of worshipers. And this is what you should imagine when you imagine heaven. This great multitude of people worshiping God. This is perfect heaven. But it's not the end. And as you go into the chapter 8, the seventh seal is broken. The seventh seal is broken, and when it happens, what does the seventh seal happen, uh, have? It has judgment. Remember in the fifth seal, there was this desire, please, you know, with the martyrs, please give us justice. When will our blood be avenged? In the seventh seal, there is judgment. In the seventh seal, there's seven trumpets that are blown. And it's like, oh, wait, you know, there was seven seals and now there's seven trumpets. And these are, if you don't want to, if you want to scare the kids with chapter six, this is just as scary, right? Um, chapter seven, there's seven trumpets. And you have to realize these trumpets aren't like musical instrument doo -doo 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 trumpets. These are battle trumpets. These are trumpets that herald something coming. And with these trumpets, they're blown. Every time they're blown, it means something's going to happen. And the seven trumpets, first one is hail and fire rain down. And a third of the vegetation are destroyed. The second trumpet, mountains falls into the sea and and kills the sea. The sea bleeds, and a third of the fish die. The third trumpet blows, and a, a star falls from heaven and makes the water bitter, a third of the water bitter. And then you see uh, uh, the fourth trumpet, the sun, moon, star, a third of the light from these, these heavenly bodies are blocked out. And then the fifth trumpet, there is a plague a plague that will make people want to die. And then the sixth trumpet is a third of mankind is killed. It's always this third, one-third, one-third, one-third. The reason for that is basically God is showing even in this judgment, there will be a remnant. Even in this judgment, there will be those that he saves. 
And so that ends all of this. There, it ends with this unrepentant, the people who are still unrepentant. What does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? When, when you think about it, you, you think about these sealed, sealed uh, scrolls, these seals that, that we wait for God to open. And yet, it's not a future event. These are things that are happening right now. I, I started the letter, you know, I started this sermon with, um, what do you do? What do you do when you, uh, you imagine a church? You're in a church. You're in a church in the first century, second century, uh, when John is writing this passage. And as you're, you're in this church, you, you see the persecution happening. You see how difficult it could be. But that's way, like, what is it, 2,000 years ago, right? That's so long ago. What does it have to do with us now? Let's imagine a church. Let's imagine a church in Chatswood. Imagine you're in a church in Chatswood. And every day you worship, every Sunday you worship God. And then from there, you go out into the world. And you go out into a world that says, compromise your faith. You go out into a world that says, if you are Christian, you are an inferior person. You are a fool for believing such a gospel. That is the world out there. That is the world that you are stepping out into. And as you go out into that world, how will you stand? Because it's so much easier just to deny Christ to live for yourself, to go and make money, build a home, you know, live in a home and, and live for yourself. We live rich, you know, have a, a you know, a beautiful wife, have 2.5 kids and, you know, uh, four or five, four or five kids, you know, and, you know enjoy, enjoy life, enjoy, uh, eat what you want. It's so much easier. Don't worry about what people say around you because, man. This is the life that this world says you should live. This is the life that the world says will fulfill you. But in that case, you are at the end, the unrepentant. Verse 20 and 21 in chapter 9 says, The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immoralities or their thefts. Is that not the world? They worship these idols of gold and silver, money, they worship the, the, uh, the buildings that they create, the things that they make with their own hands. They live lives of sexual immorality, murder, sorceries. That is the world, what the world says, this is how you must live. But they are alone. 
These idols cannot save them. And what we see in this passage, what we see in these verses that I went through really fast, is that God will judge. God will come. God will avenge the blood of the saints. You know, when, um, when you look at this passage, when you look at all of the things that are going to happen, you have to say, how? How am I, how am I going to be, how am I going to live? It all comes back to the Lamb. The Lamb who is worthy to break these seals. The life that you live right now, you live in faith. You live for Christ. You don't live for an idol of gold. You don't live to earn money. You don't live to create a, a secure life, to buy yourself a home that you could retire in. You don't live just so that your family can live comfortably. Because if, in order to do that, you need to make compromises of your faith. But you live, you live for Christ. And as you live for Christ, the one who gave his life so that we can have eternal life, as you live for him, as the persecutions will come, what will strengthen you in all of this? To know that God is in control, that in the end, we win. In the end, you will be standing amongst the multitude, worshiping and enjoying him forever. Let's pray.